Hi, this is Susie Quattro, and you are listening to Pantheon Podcast. History in five songs. With host Martin Popoff. A production of Pantheon Podcasts. Let's rock out with Martin. Yes, indeed. Martin Popoff here, back again for another episode of History in Five Songs with Martin Popoff, brought to you by the good people at Pantheon Podcast. We are pleased, as always, to be part of this vast and always expanding Pantheon Podcast Network. We're available on Spotify, iTunes, Simplecast, and over 40 other podcast platforms. All right. This is a this is an episode where it's an idea I've had for a while, and I might have you know I've probably mentioned it elliptically along the way, and all you know somewhere along the previous 165 episodes. But I was just on with uh, Pete Pardo, Sea of Tranquility. We were doing our weekly Friday at the Funhouse, and uh, I don't know why it came up. It was was kind of off topic, but then I noticed in the comments a few people said, "Hey, that's kind of a neat idea." So it, it kind of reminded me to. Uh, to cover this off fully. Um, so the idea here, this is episode 166. I'm calling this Songs You Shouldn't Cover. Nice, simple uh, concept here. And uh, most of what we're going to talk about here is driving home a specific point. I'm going to use the first four slots to uh, to essentially make that point. And then I'm going to just flip it and we're going to use the fast one, uh, the last one, uh, the, the number five slot, uh, basically talking about um, the complete opposite where it's like, you should cover these songs, and and here's here's kind of a good reason why it why it sort of worked out. So so it's almost like we're gonna drive home the point by uh, by covering all bases, uh, essentially the opposite, the the polar opposite, as it were. Um, so yeah, the idea here is songs you shouldn't cover, uh, but like I say, a specific way. So the ways I'm not gonna talk about these are, you know, should you cover big sort of monumental songs like Don McLean, American Pie? Should you cover uh, artists that are super distinctive in what they do and they're such, they're so soaked in the ownership of the song? Like, should you be covering Bruce Springsteen songs? Um, should you be covering U2 songs? You know, now we get into that whole, you know how I've used that that term, messianic, right? Should metal, metal bands, for example, cover U2 songs? It seems like every time they do it, they come off sounding a little pretentious uh you know you think of that whole Queensryche take cover uh thing where that whole thing felt a little pretentious because and you know and Def Leppard's kind of like this a little bit as well uh this idea that uh that you know you're you're too big for your britches you know you're you're not worthy to cover these songs kind of thing um so I feel that there's these other reasons uh not uh not to you know, where it's ill-advised to, to be covering the songs. But again, we're going to drive home a certain point here uh, with all four of these, uh, the first four slots. So let's start with our first one. Take a listen to this. This is your eye heap with Gypsy. Will she still be torn between her father and lover? All right. So I might have used Gypsy before to to point out other examples of things. I it possibly might have been in our Origins of Heavy Metal episode. Um, 
But this is always, uh, you know, I always, uh, I, you know, have to include in these things the first song that comes to mind when I think of a concept. So um, this is the first song that comes to mind for me like this. So the idea with this songs you shouldn't cover uh, situation is the following. Um, you can never improve upon the original. That's essentially it. So the idea is that you listen to a song like Gypsy and you go, well, you know, irrespective of it being 1970, which blows my mind, but the production is absolutely incredible on this. This band, on their first album, first songs, gets the whole Deep Purple, Richie Blackmore, John Lord alloy better than Deep Purple actually would ever get it, perhaps, um, you know, accepting the Machine Head album. Uh, but they do an amazing, amazing job. Massive, massive mic box guitars and then the, the honking crazy, crazy organ on here as well. The drumming is incredible. Uh, the, you know, the general frilliness of what's going on. And here's, here's kind of the main point. When you look at the real skeleton of the song, there's not really much going on. The actual verse chords are not all that exciting. But you put David Byron up there, you put that strange arrangement where it stops and it's just like, you know, tapping the hi-hat sort of thing and you hear the chords going and he sings and then you get those big medieval stomps in it. You've got the intro, you've got the crazy musicality, almost like, you know, a, a, a wacky Vertigo Records, jazzy, acid rock, jam, heavy metal, progressive band on this thing. So the point is, is... Everything about the performance, the production, you know, the fact of the matter, it, you know, it is their own song. It's so uh, historic in the invention of heavy metal being 1970 and sounding like this in 1970. These are all the reasons there's no point touching this song. You, you could cover it, you know, using using Pro Tools and computers and uh, and um, triggers and uh, Andy Sneak production. You know, we always... We always um, complain about Andy Sneap, but you know, it, it, he's almost become this term for perfect modern productions, right? You could do all this, but you know that there'd be a whole ton of magic that would get lost along the way, and that's why you would never cover this song. Um, and interesting, I wanted to mention with Heap, also this, this band is the king of the shuffles, right? So what I've noticed is when people cover Heap or for that matter, ZZ Top type shuffles. Sometimes the drummer will straighten out the shuffle, or even kind of lazy out the shuffle, and and like turn it, you know, make it make it more of a bass drum snare combination rather than true shuffling. You know, the 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 ways that Roger Earl or or Lee Kerslake or Frank Beard would do it, where you'd maybe get a little bit of kind of roiling snare drum grace notes in there and stuff like that. You know, a proper true shuffle on the hi hat. It's kind of hard to do to, to get a real groove going on a shuffle. So when you hear bands cover the Uri Heap shuffles, it it doesn't particularly sound great either. Uh, it it loses that atmosphere. And another one, well, this is another reason. Um, you know, Pete and I were talking about our our favorite bands by so it it was the episode about um, you know should you are are the hits the greatest songs blah blah blah. We won't get into that, but you know, for examples, we picked our favorite favorite heap songs we both actually i think had shadows of grief in our list and again that is a song on look at yourself where the performance is so dynamic and proggy and tasteful but yet large and uh, and complicated but when you listen to the way that one's got a little more complication to it than gypsy does but again it's the whole enveloping of of this 
of this band firing on all cylinders. It's only a year later for them, 1971, with that great David Byron vocal on top and the amazing, amazing dialed in Jerry Braun sounds. Um, you know, just just lots of bass, lots of treble, lots of everything, just super dynamic. Um, and then all the all the little progressive parts, which again, uh, you know, I, I, I maintain that on that first album here and there, but on the third album, definitely, not so much on Salisbury and somewhat on the two big ones, Demons and Wizards and Magician's Birthday, and definitely on Sweet Freedom as well. Uh, these guys kind of get that magic of Deep Purple better better than Deep Purple gets it in a lot of cases, which is kind of interesting. Per perhaps not so consistently in the songwriting, but definitely in, um, in the production and that. So... Again, I, I guess the idea here is is that even if the songwriting is pulled back a little bit, the performance can make a song untouchable as a cover. No one could ever improve on Shadows of Grief. That's my point. Um, but yeah, Easy Living, I guess Angel Dust covered Easy Living, The Dickies, Wasp. Um, you know, there's no there's no significant no significant covers of Gypsy, which is kind of interesting and kind of proves my point. And, you know, I wanted to mention another one that. Uh, you know, we could do a whole episode on this. I don't think I, I have, but, um, you know, the idea of how Iron Maiden was the first band to really pick covers the way a fan, a heavy metal fan, would pick covers, and then Metallica did kind of the same thing. Uh, and a lot of Metallica's covers don't improve on the originals um, because they they put in that, that kind of simple, oppressive, thrashy, Metallica heavy heavy metalness. Bread Fan's a perfect example. You can't really improve on that Bread Fan uh, budgie uh, performance. But Maiden, um, because there's just this kind of extra cool dynamic to their to what they do. Uh, there's an interesting example um, that is is kind of like one of you know one side of the story versus the other side of the story, and that's I've got the fire Montrose. Um, that is an absolutely uh, exalted performance and production. Everything on there, Ronnie Montrose and the Electric Bill Church and uh, and Denny and um, is hang on, hang on, no, Bill's gone by that uh, by that album. That's right. Um, yeah, he's on he's on the demos. I think is the way that works. But anyways, Sammy Hager, of course, uh, singing up a storm on that song. But but the but the groove, everything about it is uh, is so perfectly done. But so, so that is a song that I would I would generally say like Gypsy is untouchable, but Maiden actually rises to the challenge, and because it's that classic Maiden lineup, Bruce is coming in, he's got something to prove. Um, they just do an incredible version of the song. So there's an example of a of a song that I would generally say is untouchable. Don't do it. Ill advised. You will your version will be worse than the, the original. Maiden pretty much captures the same magic as the original. All right, let's move on to our second selection. Take a listen to this. This is Ram Jam with Gone Wild. Okay, so exact same point I'm going to make here, but I'm but there's a, an actual uh, added dimension to this Ram Jam situation. So, um, this record, this is off of uh, Portrait of the Artist as a Young Ram. This is that album I did an entire uh, I I did an entire episode on because the whole story of it just blows me away. Go listen to that. It's one of the most 
interesting episodes uh, of uh, of the 166 so far. Uh, but the point here is that there are other songs on that album that are much more modern heavy metal, almost Judas Priest-like. But yet this song is actually a little more dated. It could have even fit on the self-titled debut. Um, it's got a little boogie-woogie to it. But the point is, is the performance of this song is so over the top and hoodlum rock and bush party and just rowdy and drinking um, that it actually is my favorite song on the whole album. And this is this is the magic of performance. So um, you just hear the way the production is. It's so noisy and mid-rangey and the guitars are screeching and Mike Scavoni is in there you know just just kind of sounding like a like a bad dude from the streets kind of thing and uh, and everything about this song just just like sounds like like a crazy friday night getting ready to go out and break things uh party song and that that's it like i say it drives home the point because there are other songs on here there's actually other so here's the here's kind of the point with this this song untouchable don't cover it your version will be worse than theirs there are other songs in this album because the production of the album in general this this rowdy screechy mid-rangey frantic production doesn't really work as well for some of the other songs uh yeah it works pretty well because it's an amazing amazing album it's one of the heaviest albums of the 70s and oddly enough it's from an American band and it's not even a an early new wave of British heavy metal situation like you know the Motorhead albums or, or Samson or things like that Saxon um, so that's kind of interesting heavy load is kind of you know I guess a Swedish version of new wave of British heavy metal but there are some really heavy songs on here that I would say go ahead and try cover them because they are modern enough that you could do a good job and if you are a you know a band with a lot of chemistry and and good recording you know this this is frankly there's there's like three or four songs on here it would have been amazing to hear maiden cover in 1982 or 1983 or 1984 this is a 1978 album right so there you go that really drives home the point too and i think i'll just mention here as well that ram jam is super famous for black betty now, Black Betty is a traditional song that uh, that essentially, uh, you know, it's it's uh, I guess the most famous version is is Lead Better. Um, but what they do with this is what Zeppelin and Cactus and all those song uh, all those bands did with taking old blues songs and add a whole bunch of frilliness and dynamic performance and production to them. So Black Betty turns out to be a song that. Um, was a good idea to cover it was it's obviously their only hit they only made two albums and and they had a huge hit with this song and you still hear black betty all the time um but the point is in this situation it's worth covering because the bare bones of it are so simple and yet they notice the magic in it and then they added a bunch of heavy metal riffs and things to it and the crazy drum breaks and all that stuff which which made it really good so so that's kind of uh not a song you shouldn't cover but a song that they realized that there was some magic in there and made it worth covering um all right this episode of history in five songs with martin popoff is sponsored by better help without a healthy mind being truly happy and at peace is hard the good news is there works 
But what is therapy exactly? It's whatever you want it to be. Maybe you're not feeling motivated right now and would like some tools to help, or maybe you're feeling insecure in relationships or at work, not dealing well with stress. Whatever you need, it's time to stop being ashamed of normal human struggles and start feeling better because you deserve to be happy. And now you don't have to worry about finding an in-person therapist near you to help. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can start communicating with your therapist in under 48 hours. Join the millions of people who are seeing what online therapy is really about. It's always a good time to invest in yourself because you are your greatest asset. And special offer to History and Five Songs with Martin Popoff listeners. You can get 10% off your first month of professional therapy at betterhelp.com slash five songs. That's better, H-E-L-P dot com slash five songs. Thanks again to BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode. Um, all right. Let's move on to our third selection, and we'll make a slightly uh, different point with this one. Uh, pretty interesting here. Take a listen. This is Status Quo with Backwater. All right, so this is uh, wow. So um, I have often said, uh, and I'm I'm pleased to be able to play this. I, I've probably played this before um, in in some previous episode because uh, what you just heard is probably my my favorite thirty seconds of music uh, by anybody uh, ever. It's the most magical hard rock moment I can think of. Um, and so this is uh, the first song on the Great Quo album, my favorite Status Quo album. This is uh, the Frantic Four lineup. And, uh, you know, sadly, um, there's only one guy left alive from the from the Frantic Four lineup, and that's Francis. Everybody else is gone. You know, Rick Parfit, Alan Lancaster, John Coughlin, Colin. But, uh, yeah, Alan Lancaster vocal on this. So some of my favorite Quo songs have Alan singing, the, uh, the bass player, uh, I love his voice. I love his vocals. Um, but yeah, I, I just, I love the whole um, idea of when, when this song is just this big trundling heavy metal slash boogie song, um, you know, big stomping beat to it. Sounds like tanks rolling through the desert and all those other metaphors that I use. But it goes into this long guitar solo section and then it comes out of this guitar solo section and blasts into another verse. And and swear to God, I it feels like, or maybe it's true, that, that, that it speeds up a tiny bit when it goes into this verse. I just love that feel. I just I just think it's one of the most heavy metal moments of all time, even though it's obviously, you know, old school dad rock, not particularly heavy metal, boogie rock, right? Um, so my point I want to make here is that um, I love this magic moment of music so much, like I say, my favorite moment of music ever, uh, that... Um, you know, even them on their on their legendary live album, Live, can't even recapture that moment because they probably don't feel it the same way I do. I, I just played it just before we did this episode and, and I noticed they kind of botch it. You know, they, they botch this magic, magic moment. And, and the interesting thing is I remember finding on YouTube once one other live performance where it's almost as cool as on the studio album. It's an outdoor show and I can never find it again. Uh, but there's this outdoor show version where they're in front of some huge crowd. It's probably at some British festival. Um, it's 
it's sunny out, you know, so it's daytime, and uh, and they break into this part, and uh, and it sounds as heroic as it does in the studio album. But my point here is. Um, Status quo shouldn't even cover their own song. They can't even do it as well. They they can't play this song live as well in the studio, which is pretty darn interesting, right? You know this idea of uh, you know I was I was finishing up my second Dio Dio book the other day, the second half of the Dio story, and and you know opining that you know the live albums only came later. We never got a live album after Sacred Heart, and it's like. You know, oh, whoa, wouldn't have that been a great moment had they put out a double live album. Might have been the greatest live album of all time. Well, the fact of the matter is, and, you know, I remember when we did uh, one of the ZZ Top Contrarians talking about how we never got a ZZ Top live album, maybe they were soured by, um, you know, the reception of the live side of uh, of Fandango. But the fact of the matter is this is a trio in a live situation in the 70s. They might not have got the magic of a Herded on the X or a, or a Nasty Dogs and Funky Kings or, or even a... Uh, beer drinkers and hellraisers that they got on the studio version so maybe you know they were smart not to do that because it wouldn't even stand up so my my point with this third slot is that um you know sometimes a band even though you know we always say oh ufos strangers of the night thin lizzy live and dangerous you know kiss alive all oh, these bands are way better live than they are in studio the live album captured the magic of them way better of what they really were and all this kind of stuff it could work the opposite and i think uh this is a good example of that where you know you know what quote don't even try to cover your own song you'll never do a better version than you did on the studio version so that is our take there um and i just wanted to mention um you know i feel the same way about down down little lady even too far gone on rocking all over the world uh, which has this really cool, tight little arrangement. It's this rockin', rockin' little gem of a tune on, on rockin' all over the world. Um, it's got some 4-4 beat in it. It's got like a little bit of extra percussion stuff. That band, no band could ever improve on the magic that Quo get on on that version of the song Too Far Gone studio version. Uh, and, and I actually don't feel this way about another great album of theirs, Piledriver. I think... I think there are performances on there that are are good, acceptable, but I could see live versions of some of the stuff on there being even better. So it, so even within this one band, it's probably not universal uh, that this would happen, but there are these magic, magic, super heavy, like Down Down and Little Lady, and even Bye Bye Johnny when they cover like uh, like the Chuck Berry thing. It's so incredibly powerful and heavy even though it's boogie rocket to a certain extent to a large extent um but those studio versions just everything about them the performance the very mid-rangey type production um they they could never improve on that and like i say no other band could ever improve on it either all right let's move on to our fourth selection take a listen to this this is ted nugent with paralyzed Okay, so again, same point. Um, I think with this song, um, when you listen to the song, there's not much there. 
Um, so the point is, is if you covered this song, you would be covering a song that hasn't met you halfway yet. It hasn't given you a ton of incredible flashy riffs to do or whatever. The performance of this song, the amazingness of this song is, is that on that huge hanging chord or chords, multiple, you know, big hanging chords, that wah-wah effect, the burbly wah in the, um, in the solo, uh, you know, it's an angry Ted. This is Ted, you know, around the time of his divorce. You know, Ted's a big star, but things are kind of starting to go south. It's got that gorgeous, big, powerful Ted Nugent um, vocal on it. It's got the, um, you know, the grouped vocal when you get to the chorus. Um, the, the drumming's a little bit. Yeah, this I want to mention because this is kind of the point why I wanted to pick Ted Nugent. But so... Yes, I don't think you can improve on Ted Nugent's version of Paralyzed. Now, a funny thing happens. There is that, um, you know, I've talked about this before. There's that live version of Ted doing Paralyzed. Um, can't remember what it is. I didn't research it again this time. I know I've talked about it before. But he, he actually has improved on even this version live, which is incredible. And there's the Scream Dream. Remember, we talked about Scream Dream before. There's this live version of Scream Dream, which is even better than the studio version. But I wanted to pick Ted because, uh, and I even pulled out some records here. Um, the point with Ted is that um, I could have used Ted in, in the uh, what we're going to use uh, for our for our last thing here, um, our, our last slot where I talk about the opposite, uh, you could probably pick songs off of uh, Weekend Warriors, certainly, Cat Scratch Fever, and even Free For All. Uh, the riffier, more complicated, flashy songs on those records, the heavier stuff, Out of Control, A Thousand Knives, um, even Wang Dang, Sweet Poontang, um, Let's see, uh, you know, the stuff where Meatloaf sings on Free For All, I was never a big fan of that sort of thing. But also because the productions are very um, kind of undynamic, the Tom Worman productions, uh, you know, very mid-rangey but kind of boxy and small, and the drumming is very behaved. It sounds like Ted really, you know, strangled Cliff to not, not really drum too much on these things. So this is kind of the opposite, which again, we're going to get to on our fifth selection, but I, you know, I'll, I'll mention him here. Um, Ted's got a little bit of both and, and to go back to the paralyzed situation, I totally believe that, um, there would, well, it would be career suicide. You wouldn't do this anyways, but <laughs> there would be no point in covering any of the Ted Nugent songs that are on Crave Man or Love Grenade because you could never improve on those performances and productions and even, frankly, vocals with Ted singing. Those those versions of those songs like Change My Sex and Aborigine and uh, uh, Raw Dogs and War Hogs, I think it's called, um, broadside uh there's these just molten killer productions and performances with great rhythm sections and ted's guitar just absolutely seething and electric and ted's vocal super angry great production that again totally fit this idea that don't touch these songs you cannot improve on those versions all right let's go to our fifth selection here fifth and final take a listen to this this is galactic cowboys with i want you
Okay, so the idea here is just the flip side. This is like, go ahead and cover these songs. You can improve upon them. So this is Kiss, I Want You. I've been kind of down lately on Rock and Roll Over and Love Gun lately um, because I don't think particularly Kiss performances, Eddie Kramer productions, the singing, um, you know, the, the, the tones... Peter's drumming, anything on these songs uh, are, are are particularly magical uh, in, in a studio setting, certainly. Um, so here we have Galactic Cowboys, you know, the great Monty Colvin with, um, you know, Ben Huggins and this, you know, the, the Baby King's X band, right? Um, doing this cool, groovy, heavy, well-recorded, very electric and lively version of the Kiss song. And it's it's the coolest thing on the Feel the Rage uh, EP. And and frankly, on this EP, they cover Junior's Farm by um, Paul McCartney and Wings, and it, it feels kind of pointless. Uh, there, I think you have, there, there's a perfect, you know, the dichotomy of what this episode is about. There you've got a simple, charming enough song uh, you know, played obviously a little more up-tempo. Paul McCartney Wings is a weird band. I mean, they, they are so kind of underarranged and almost like children's music in a way. Um, but it's a, it's a well-written song. But it's a song that particularly, yeah, you're not going to improve on by just turning up the guitars on it. Uh, so so it, it's not as impressive. Whereas this particular Kiss song has a complicated riff and a complicated rhythm so they can do all those wonderful Galactic Cowboys things to it. Um, and on this front, you know, I, I think uh, Megadeth's Paranoid is kind of an interesting one where, yeah, you can improve on it. You've got the, you've got Max Norman production. You've got the 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 firing on on all cylinders Megadeth lineup. Um, so and they kind of speed it up. Um, it's a little more thrashy. So so you know I guess we're in a realm. This is not that interesting. I mean it, it's a realm of uh, there's tons and tons of great covers out there that are improvements on the old songs. But I thought that was an interesting point because when they cover Sex Pistols' problems, you get into a little bit of that. Can you really improve on that original? Can you improve on the magic of the Sex Pistols album and that time? And is it a little pretentious covering a punk band like that? So I think Problems kind of kind of falls flat. It's not as cool. No More Mr. Nice Guy, I think, is just not an ill... It's an ill-advised cover. It's not that exciting a song for a metal band, you know, a couple of generations later uh, to cover. I know it's, it fits in with Dave's personality and all that and haha and all that kind of thing, but uh, I don't think it's... Uh, so... So the, the successful one of those is is Paranoid. You know, I was going to pick Kiss Shock Me as one that you probably uh, could cover and improve upon as well. There's many Kiss songs, I think, that would fit this. I thought Faith No More's cover of War Pigs, you know, allowed Mike Borden to do some other interesting things with, uh, with drumming. And again, this was in an era where their productions were amazing. So, so they could do this great, great production job on it. Uh, the Clash Police on My Back by The Equals. This, this is a... Uh, you know, we're getting a little off topic because, you know, the, the first four are really the topic, but there's also the idea that uh, a cover can be done when the when the original is is so obscure and so unknown that it's practically it's not even a cover. You're, you're practically doing someone else's song uh, the same way you would be covering a singer songwriter in a way like like, hey, here's some songs I wrote. Do you want to do one of them? Well, is that, you know, technically a cover when you do a Diane Warren song? Right. So you get that whole situation. And, um, you know, I looked at lists of favorite, you know, greatest covers of all time. Jeff Buckley, Hallelujah, Sinead O'Connor, 
nothing compares to you. Soft Cell, Tainted Love, Johnny Cash Hurt, uh, Marvin Gaye, I Heard It Through the Grapevine, uh, Pet Shop Boys, Always On My Mind, Whitney Houston, I Will Always Love You, uh, Aretha Franklin, Respect. Um, you know, you think of Jimi Hendrix is all along the Watchtower. So, so there are ways where, so now we're in a little bit of a different dimension where a cover could improve on an old song again that is so so simple like like Bob Dylan songs they're just kind of songs that are just sitting there with not much performance it's like somebody else take it and improve upon it but and then and then also you can have a situation where you have someone much 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 more famous well I guess that's that's sort of what we were talking about before but even the Johnny Cash thing is kind of interesting where where you have a very very transformed cover of something else where everybody kind of ha ha oh how amusing is that you know take an industrial song and do a do a country version or whatever, right? So there's a lot of reasons why uh, you know it is a good idea to cover uh, something. But again, I thought the interesting thing with this episode uh, is finding those songs that um, you know the original is more or less untouchable. It can't be improved upon. You're not going to improve upon it. No one's going to be super uh, impressed when when you do it. Uh, so there you go. If you like this show and want to support future episodes, please go to Kofi rhymes with no fee.com slash Martin pop off, hit that red support button and buy me a coffee or a pint. Last week we had a really short list of people to thank because I actually did the episode like the next day or two days later after it, it went. And now, so we've had a long, long break. So got a kind of a, a longer a list. So thank, thanks folks for this. Um, we've got Joe Beck at Bel Air Expediting. Andy at Black Sugar Transmission, Bruce Campbell, Lee Clifford, Kevin Donaldson, Laurie Ferdinands, um, David Fisher, Ryan Gavalier, Dennis Lawson, Neil Miller, Monty Olson, Augustin Garcia de Preti, Steve Polary, Stephen Samchuk. Uh, wow, very, very generous. Take a break, please. <laughs> uh, CJ Shosha, uh, also very generous. Take a break. Uh, uh, John Stuckey, Vinyl Resting Place, and Adam Zenobi. So thank you all very much. Um, yeah, I mean, normally the list is between the uh, the, the size of these uh, these two, but um, this one I'm doing at the regular time on, on the weekend. Um, so there you go. Um, yeah, uh, you, you know where to get the books. I sign them and send them out from the office here. That's the whole idea. That's that's my my main income in any given year is is being a mail order guy of my own books. Uh, the Angel book is now back in stock. A lot of people have been asking for that. I've still got a few of my stash of the big fancy David Bowie book. Um, so I've got that as well. I know it's kind of expensive, 86 bucks shipping in, uh, to anywhere in the U S of course I'm signing those as well. You know, break open the cellophane, you know, very, very carefully pull the book out of the big plastic sleeve and, and get that done. But yeah, uh, most anything in print I have. Uh, there's also the artpal.ca. Uh, you know, I've been doing those drawings of rock stars. So, um, and I've got prints of those as well. Just email me and we, we can talk about those eight and a half by 11 prints. Those I sign a number as well, numbered to 70. Um, so yeah, martinpopoff.ca, martinpopoff.com. Yeah, martinpopoff.ca is where you can actually see most of the portraits i haven't really kept up that site but all of the fake ads i've done are there as well and i've got prints of those uh, also uh so there you go um go play some of these let me know what you think uh you know at the facebook page are there other song songs that you think are untouchable that just can't be improved upon because the magic was too amazing uh in the first place thanks again talk to you later Find all of our shows, notes, social, and links at www.pantheonpodcast.com or wherever you listen to great podcasts. All songs can be found for purchase on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. 
Please purchase these great and important tracks. Find us on Facebook at the RNRAP. We are on Instagram at RNR Archaeology. Tweet us at RNR Archaeology. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points. 